You're listening to Think. It's like Think, but with an M instead of an N. A podcast for learning. I'm your host, Nicholas Rue, and with me is your co-host, Paul <laughs> You cut out for me when you said the name of the podcast. <laughs> it just, you're listening and- to... <laughs> like you already know what it is. Fuck you. <laughs> you put it on. <laughs> you know what it is. The the podcast where uh, we research stuff and then teach it to you because we learn by teaching and we have to study for the big old test. This uh, semester is a night of the movies and topics in SF. <laughs> We're having a, a technical difficulty-filled time here. Yeah, we've spent the last uh, like hour and a half at this point, I think, trying to figure out mm-hmm. why uh, each of us in turn keeps getting shot by a mean robot and disappearing for a couple <laughs> seconds before we phase <laughs> back into reality. <laughs> and... Um, that hour and a half is recorded and will be posted on our Patreon at patreon.com slash themethepodcast. That's a joke. Yeah, I was uh, going to say, I do, we would never, I do not have that recording. <laughs> I, I deleted it. It would have been an hour and a half. of. We would never we would never punish our patrons in that way. But we may post a little outline of um, the spec script we are now working on based on the evil robot that shoots people that makes them disappear for just a few seconds before they reappear, uh, yeah. which makes um, conversations very difficult. Yeah, there's an episode of Doctor Who where they, they hide something by phasing it out of the sync with the rest of the world by like a second or two uh and that's kind of what is a good writing <laughs> uh no but um i don't know it was okay i guess i think it's the one where wilfred uh almost dies so that's a sad one the australian dog yeah the, yeah the, the dog played by uh not elijah wood i was gonna say elijah wood but he was the he was the human <laughs> in that show he was the man, not the dog man. The man, dog man. Uh, well, that's that's could get us a good segue into the topic of this week. Speaking of dog men, John Travolta. We were uh, tasked with with our um, we were tasked by our uh, night at the movies professor, um, professor not Travolta, with studying the less than stellar films of john travolta and picking one to uh discuss uh so Which, nick before, oh boy before, i did yeah before we get into that i just have a quick topic of discussion when you said a hot topic yeah well you said pick a, a not good john travolta film and I, my first thought was like yeah. that'll be kind of difficult because he's been in a lot of good films, but then I opened up his filmography yeah. on Wikipedia and I realized the opposite is true. There is maybe you, like three good John Travolta films. Yeah, man. First off, I thought you were going to use that as a as a dig at Pulp Fiction, but like he's had a bad career. The thing was that Pulp Fiction was supposed to be his like revival movie, and then he just blew it after that. <laughs> Boy, did he blow it! Um, but we'll get into that. We'll get into that <laughs> later. But yeah, like I'm. Just, I was like, because my first I was like, Greece. Greece is good. It's not a great film, but it's good film. And then like Pulp Fiction, which I don't, you know, is maybe one of the Tarantino films that I like well enough. 
and he's the bad guy in The Punisher, which is a great fucking film. He's in Saturday Night Fever, which is yeah good. And but I was fine. sitting there, I'm like, I'm like, you know, and I, I was like thinking of the films that he's been in, and then you actually open up the the filmography, and you realize like, Gotti is, exists, and oh, Ace Gotti is not the one I did, but is um fucking terrible. Yeah, John and I. The opening of of that is just him. Like, oh my god. Okay, I just want to talk about John uh, Gotti real quick. Um, the opening of that is John Travolta doing a terrible accent, and he's already got kind of a New York accent, so I don't know why he needed to talk this way, but the opening line is him saying, uh, New York City is the best fucking city in the world. And he, like, is supposed to, throughout the film, be, tra- be portraying the life of John Gotti, wherein he starts fairly young and then becomes old, but to my... He's like what 60 yeah trying to play a guy in his 20s and it does not even begin to work no and so the only thing worthwhile about that film to me is the fact that john and i were watching it and we're like oh shit that's the comment like when he first murders that dude it's the comment (laughs) and i was just like oh i've been there that's cool did did you get to the end of it no absolutely not we made it to the point where he's like regularly getting hit hit assignments from the dentist office that he goes to okay. which is like we made about halfway uh before i'm like i think i made it i think i made it about 15 minutes in and then just started skipping through it to see like stacy keach and other north side establishments yeah, it's not a good film and like I thought it was going to be one of those things where it's like well even bad films I can come sometimes enjoy because like if they're bad in a certain way they're watchable. They're like not good, but it's like oh well, this is kind of funny or at least Gotti is not that at all, man. It's a slog the entire time. Um yeah, so at the end of it they um he looks so John Travolta in real life is now older than John Gotti ever was. So the way that they try and show if like 65 year old John Travolta is supposed to be like early 30s uh John Gotti who just looks like weird faced like a fucked up slightly melted John Travolta when they have to age him yeah, like it's bad. 30 years from that oh. he just looks like a corpse. Yeah, every time his son comes to visit him in prison, it's real rough to look at. Oh my god, his son never ages and also does not look like an actor. He looks like a, he just has spiky hair and glasses and never ages throughout the film. Yeah, uh, I mean, which honestly makes uh, Gotti maybe one of the best science fiction films of all time. So maybe we should have talked about that for yeah. the other class. You are absolutely right. I think we missed an opportunity. Um, and maybe this is kind of a joint lesson. Yeah, but, well, the other film that I picked actually is a science fiction film. Uh, we could start with that, or if you oh, want to, do you want to, because I, th- I think ha, we should do... Let's, 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 oh, you want to start with mine? I, I think we should do, make sure, like, do each movie separately. Like, there's this other... I've been listening to another thing, and the, the way they do they do breakdowns whenever they do two films is like, we're going to talk about one, now we're talking about the other. And I like that, so. 
Okay, so I'll go first. Because yours is more with, topical. Um, it's more topical because it came out yeah, this like, year. Yeah, it came out months, just like a month or two ago, right? Uh, yes, it has a 2009, which is the current year, um, release date. And what do you do you know anything about this movie? First off, I don't know what movie it, you're talking about. Because it, it, the fanatic. Okay. Uh, the only thing I know about the fanatic is that uh, Fred Durst directed it. Correct. It came out uh, about a month ago, August thirtieth, two thousand nineteen, um, and made three thousand one hundred and fifty-three dollars at the box office. <laughs> Wait, th- three thousand? Yes. How, how is that even possible? Yes. Like, was it, four figures? Was it just a very limited release? Fifty-two theaters, so it made. Less than a hundred dollars at like, each. Yeah, theater. that's like sixty bucks. That's that means six people on average at each theater saw it, and that's being generous. <laughs> that is being generous with that math. Yeah, because it's not like a bunch of people are going with Movie Pass because that has not worked for months. Right, right. Well, it's gone now, right? Didn't they just kill it? Yeah, it's completely dead, and they should have. I've had it for months, and they're just like, yeah, uh, I think it was in June. They were like, yeah, it's going to be down for a week while we're upgrading, and then it just never it never started back up. Yeah, I mean, well, they're counting on, like, well, not counting on, like, AMC and uh, uh, Cinemark basically started their own version, uh, the pricing of which you don't you can't know i tried to look up the pricing when i found that movie pass was going down and it's just like you can see three movies every week and i'm like cool how much is it and they're just like it depends <laughs> it's a secret you don't and get it's like enough. you have to sign up before before they tell you how much money it is and i'm like this seems like a scam it seems like you're gonna run a scam I on fucking love right <laughs> i love cinemark because um, they'll email you and they're like, happy birthday. If you buy four movie tickets, you get a free small popcorn for your birthday. <laughs> that's like, that's their that's their idea of a little, little treat for you. It's, that's wild, too, because like, I mean, I guess popcorn does have a huge markup. But like, like, it's like spend $50 and we'll give you $5 in free stuff, which I mean, tracks. Like with yeah. other rewards programs, more like trash. That's where that popcorn goes. Okay, so so tell um, me. M- also on bad. Uh, do you want to hear about the fanatic brother? Um, <laughs> it got it is a Metacritic. Oh boy, <laughs> weighted average score of seventeen out of one hundred. That's not bad. Based on seventeen critics, seventeen one seven out of one zero zero. That's not bad, man. That's a solid F. Man. <laughs> F for fanatic. Yeah. So most people know this film because, uh, or have heard of this film, or have seen this film because... Uh, Their name is Fred is Durst. Throughout the entire... <laughs> yeah, because Fred Durst directed, which uh, is actually the third film that he directed. Wait, what? What else has he directed? Yeah, I... Well, one, he's directed um, several <laughs> videos for Limp Biscuit, as you should yeah, have known. So 
Right. So that was my first thought was that like he's just directed a bunch of Limp Bizkit music videos. No, he also star um directed the 2008 American comedy drama sports film The Long Shots starring Ice Cube and Kiki Palmer. Okay. And I had heard of this movie, and now I, I, I think, as a follow-up, I, I do want to watch it, even though it, it did very poorly at the box office. He directed a movie in 2007 called The Education of Charlie Banks, starring Jesse Eisenberg. Oh, shit. Okay, I have heard of that film as well. Right? That's, that's um, That weird. movie, it, it had a $5 million budget and only made back 15000 Okay, so here's a fun fact about uh, William Frederick Durst that I just found out is that that his first name is William. Yeah, well, there's that, but also um, every time I've seen him has just been me watching Limp Bizkit Woodstock '99 videos, um, and in, in that era is when he's rocking that goatee, right? Um, yeah, and the red hat backwards. Yeah, well, and the, and the first photo that comes up with him is not a red hat. It's a black, uh, looks like a black baseball cap backwards. Um, first off, his goatee looks like the uh, symbol of the Republic from Star Wars, which is, I don't think is on purpose. <laughs> you think that's intentional? <laughs> it might be. But second off, like, so that's what I'm, that image is what I'm thinking of. Um, but also there's photos of him with the full beard and it's really unsettling. Like it's very unsettling cause I'm not used to him having a full beard. Um, he also really likes anime. I don't know if you knew that. I didn't know, um, Fred Durst was a connoisseur. Yeah. He, uh, he did a bunch arts. of videos. He did a bunch of videos of him like talking about Evangelion and there's like a he has like a there's a screenshot of him holding up a uh Ray Ayanami uh like doll oh. like action figure yeah so uh i don't know how deep that that goes but i just know that that was very much a thing that uh people love to talk about when it comes to the band Limp Bizkit is that he's a he's, weeb? Yeah, he's a <laughs> more like weeb biscuit. Weeb, God. So tell me about the movie itself. <laughs> Let list the 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 reception of the movie. But tell me about the the movie itself. <laughs> All right. Well, I I didn't really need to tell you the critic score of it because. Um, so people have seen for a while. It was going around. It's still going around that in this movie throughout the entire movie, John Travolta. Um, plays a character that has like a gray bowl cut mullet and then is wearing a very tight Hawaiian shirt um, and a backpack and like shorts the entire movie. This character is a, um, his, the first scene of the movie is uh, actually a, much like Gotti, is um, an opening, like, exterior sweeping shot of new, of, of L.A., where um, a, like, side character of the movie that maybe has combined, like, 15 minutes of screen time, but somehow solely functions as just, like, a narrative frame, has uh, a voiceover where she says that uh, 
Los Angeles is uh, the city of bullshitters, as she likes to call it. And then it cuts to... It, it, it delivers you to the character that John Travolta is playing, who is named Moose. And his first line of dialogue is to the owner of a um, movie memorabilia store. And he says, hey, can't talk long, gotta poop. Okay. Um, sure, that tracks. You know you are in for a disappointing ride. That That's your character introduction. Um, yeah, so I've Googled john travolta fanatic just so i could get a a real shot Mm -hmm. of this image of him in this outfit and there's a it's bad there's an article on indiewire.com that's called critics savage john travolta's career rock bottom the fanatic or something like that uh and the still shot from it that they've chosen is him choking a guy and it he looks like he doesn't look human in that photo like in this the guy is choking no, john, or travolta? john travolta he looks like john travolta is not human is, oh, is that that's not a part of the movie that's just a real life thing. Oh, okay i thought you I thought, I thought we were discussing spoilers for the fanatic where it's revealed that he's not a human no no in the reality of the fanatic 100 percent human um in the reality of reality i mean that's more getting into what you're going to talk about that's true but John Travolta is is at least part alien or otherwise inhuman. Yeah, you look at photos of him now and something is not right with him. Something's not right. It's hard to tell if John Travolta was at some point skinned and then that skin is worn by someone else almost in yeah. a situation they could make a movie about. Yeah, the cl- yeah, the closest thing that I could really come to is definitely uh Vincent D'Onofrio in Men in Black, where he just looks like he's falling apart the entire time because it's supposed to be a giant bug shoved into human skin, and that's just what John Travolta looks like normally now. Um, which you would think if he it, has the money to make that not happen, I think he's spent too much money on it. But so in this movie, he's um supposed to portray effectively like someone who is on the spectrum and is obsessed with uh, actors and and movies Um, but instead of really investing in that and researching that and playing that in a way that is um, true or genuine it really comes across as like an SNL skit version of someone with autism like he plays the character, or I don't even know if I want to put it that way, but the character is not dissimilar to how um, they're playing like that one Trump brother on SNL. Uh, Eric? Yes. As evident by the opening line, can't talk long, gotta poop. Sure. Which could be funny if this movie was a comedy, but it's not a comedy. So, what is the? I guess can you give me a like a quick plot synopsis? Yes, I just want this movie is uh, tonally very difficult, and I will I will tell you what happens from here. So he after he says can't talk long, gotta poop. Um, the owner of the establishment tells him that uh, one of his favorite 
actors, action star, uh, who's kind of like a B-movie star, Hunter Dunbar, as portrayed by Devin Sawa, um, is going to be signing autographs at the store later. And um, he also tells Moose, John Travolta's character, that uh, he has a vest that Hunter Dunbar wore, wore in one of his previous films, and that he could buy it for $300. And John Travolta says, like, oh, I only got 60 It basically, like, talks him down and then gets the vest and then walks out of the store with the vest on backwards. Okay. Like, is so excited, he puts <clears throat> the vest on right then and just walks out of the store with the vest on backwards. Okay. I've, I've um, been there. I've been there, so... You've been there. The uh, okay. From here, one I, I want to talk about uh, the actor playing Hunter Dunbar, who is Devin Sawa. Do you know Devin Sawa? Um, not by name or by face. Okay, he um, when he was a child, he uh, played the human version of Casper. <clears throat> Okay, now... In the Casper the Friendly Ghost movie? Yeah, now I know exactly who you're talking about. That's... Okay. And then he um, played uh, Stan in the Eminem music video Stan. Okay. And he's also very well known for for being in, like, effectively the lead in the Final Destination series. Oh, shit. Okay, yeah, that's that's where I know him from, is uh, Alex from Final Destination. Yes, that's probably his most recognizable thing. But I think it's funny that this is a movie about an obsessed fan, and it's kind of a nice role reversal for him. The fact that he was Stan. Right, right. Uh, who was a fan of Eminem that was obsessed with him and thus born the phrase popular on Twitter, Stan. Yeah. But from there, okay, so... John Travolta, Moose, shows up for the signing, waits in line. Um, right when he's about to go up to get his vest signed, uh, Hunter Dunbar's ex-wife comes and says he has to watch the kid. And then John Travolta runs outside and tries to get him to sign the vest. And um, Hunter Dunbar's very, just like, fucking mean to him immediately. <clears throat> it's just like, don't you talk to me when I'm talking to my kid. And like, kind of threatens him and pushes him away. And, uh, Andre Dunbar just takes, I mean, and then he pushes him, and it's not even like Moose gets really upset. Like, he's hurt, he's sad, but he's not, like, angry. Right. Um, he eventually, he eventually, we're finally introduced after he's, like, sad, he leaves, he's, he's crying, he meets up with, uh, Leah, who we now understand is the character that gave the introduction about Los Angeles being the city of bullshitters. Um, she is apparently, like, a paparazzi person, and she tells him about like the star searching app where you can find out where celebrities live so he starts going around and trying to find out where he lives he uh gets her to invite him to a party where uh he thinks hunter dunbar is gonna be and he doesn't show up and he gets kicked out and it's really sad it's just all sad and then um yeah that hey they get into a can you can you go back go yeah. back a second? You I feel like you glossed yes. over 
an app that tells him where celebrities live. <laughs> that seems like a big deal. I'm a good. That seems like hey, a I w- big I'm gonna get issue. back to that. Okay. Well, they plant that, sure that, and then, and then, okay. Basically, his friend. They go to the party, get kicked out. He's sad. And he's like, "You weren't there for me." And then he finds out she's. <laughs> sorry sorry okay so he gets the app that shows him where celebrity houses are right normal normal thing to have (laughs) the thing that exists that says all the home addresses of famous celebrities he got the podesta emails they were leaked it has all the celebrities addresses in it So he, he he goes to Hunter Dunbar's house. <laughs> Dunbar finds him, kicks him out. Um, he eventually he writes a letter to apologize to Hunter Dunbar, and then um, sneaks. He climbs the fence to sneak into the backyard, and in doing so, he drops the letter. And then this housekeeper comes out. And she finds the letter. And the scene is her looking at the letter, and John Travolta is, like, poorly hidden in the bushes. And then he runs out and says, no, 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 don't read that. That's not for you. And then she starts hitting him. She starts smacking at him. And he's just, like, he's, like, head down, like, arms limp. And then he just goes, no. And then he pushes her. And she trips, and her head hits the side of a stone fountain. And she is very clearly dead. Oh, my God. And, okay. And her head is bleeding out. Hold on. Her head is bleeding out the back, and then her nose starts bleeding. And then Moose says, Oh, no, you got a nosebleed. That's bad. I had a nosebleed the other day. It was really bad. I hate nosebleeds. You got to do something about that. And then walks away. Oh he does not. God. They have not set up, established enough of this character that he doesn't understand that he just murdered someone. So he's literally playing this guy like a big child. Yeah, like, it, but not in the right ways. Like, it's he eventually he goes into the house and then finds out that Hunter Dunbar is like taking a nap. He takes a bunch of photos of him like next to him, and then he like kisses him on the head. Like gives him a little, okay. little, 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 little peck on the forehead, and then like he starts to wake up a little bit, and then he runs in the other room, and then he eventually falls asleep in the chair right next to him, and then wakes up and runs out of the house. Um, he next time he sees his friend, she's like, "Hey, you can't. What are you doing? You can't sneak into people's houses. You're posting this stuff on Instagram." Like everyone can see what okay. you're posting on the internet, meaning that he's yeah he like took a little he, selfie of himself kissing Hunter Dunbar's forehead. Okay, real quick. So he's friends with the photographer, right? Like they know each other prior. Yeah. They're, so at one point fight? he says, "She." I can't remember the exact dialogue, but there's something where he's like, "I'm gonna block you. You're not my friend." And she's like, I thought I was your B, 
BBF. She doesn't say BFF. She says BBF, which I don't know if that's a thing I don't know or if that's just like a bad take that they left in the movie because no one noticed it. A BBF apparently, according to internet slang.com, stands for butt buddy forever. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that is a dimension that they do not explore in that movie. Uh, Or it could be boy best friend. Uh, Our Belgian badminton federation. All of those are, <laughs> honestly, could could be any of them. Um, so I guess my question is, is like, she knows him. She knows that he's got mm-hmm. this weirdo, this like weird celebrity worship thing. Why does she think that a good idea would be to give him the app that tells you how to get to people's houses? Like, it really does, it really does seem like, now I'm not putting the blame on her per se, but it really does seem like if you know that, like, somebody is, like, very likely to do a crime, you don't give them a vital piece of information that will allow them to do that crime. Okay. Yes, you're absolutely right. Um, That should be further explored, but you're going to feel that way about everything that happens next. So, um, Hunter Dunn, I mean, Moose, John Travolta's character, is um, very upset now. His friend yelled at him. Hunter Dunbar, the last time he saw him, when he didn't show up at the party, he ran into him again. Hunter Dunbar saw him walking around his neighborhood um, after he left, and was like if i see you one more time i'm gonna kill you like i'm gonna shoot you and and (laughs) this is one of the better parts of the movie and uh hunter dunbar is gets in a car with his son and drives his son around and is like um Hey, you want to listen to some music? And his kid's like, yeah. And he's like, oh, I got something for you. This is something I used to listen to back in the day. It's called Lent Biscuit. And then they drive around. No, they do not. For like 30 seconds, just listening to Lent Biscuit while Devin Sal was like, oh, you like this? Yeah, it's pretty good. This is a good song. And his son's like, yeah, this is a good song. What? That's just played straight. What song? I don't know. I'm not familiar with the ouvre of Cause, Limp Biscuit, but it's not one of the big ones, so the implication is that Hunter Dunbar knows the deep cuts and is a big old biscuit head. That's, that's, that is, I put that on the, it's a lot. I put that on the same level as in the movie Clock Stoppers when the guy a the fine main, piece of the, cinema yeah the main character after they've stopped time and they've had their first date to the blink 182 song first date um they're like should we fix everything and head home and the guy the girl looks over at him and goes make it so number number two or whatever uh which is mm-hmm. a line that she calls him a little shit yes well that's a line that was always said to <laughs> Jonathan Frakes in Star Trek. And yeah. He, and who's the director, who's the director of that movie, of that movie. Right? So th- it seems like on the level of that, of like, here's a fun little bit, but at least in that film is played as a joke, even though it's not maybe that funny. It's played as a joke. The idea, 
No, the this idea is that they're just like, yeah, man, I lump love biscuit, and there's no acknowledgement of the fact that Fred Durst directed this movie. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's the main thing. I also there was one part I forgot about that effectively doesn't matter um, and goes in and out of the movie, and I can't remember exactly where it happens. But this is where we're gonna do a little like subsection before it gets into the final act. So. Moose, as we come to find out, we first see him um, applying, uh, like, putting on, like, a, a fake mustache, like a fake handlebar mustache, and saying poppycock in a terrible British accent. And it turns out his job is effectively he dresses as a bobby and stands in front of the Chinese theater and says, Welcome to Hollywood. The Beatles are here. The Queen's here. And it that's how he makes money, apparently. <laughs> Okay. Is that he's one of the people in Hollywood that's just... A character. Yeah, that, I mean, that... that <laughs> Yeah, like, so, some people are Charlie Chaplin. He's just vague British Bobby that tells you the Beatles and the Queen are yeah, here. Yeah, that makes more sense, honestly, than literally everything else you've told me about this film so far. So, I feel like that actually solidified so after, this film in reality a little bit more. Yeah, that's the important thing, is that he is an autograph collector and also is a Bobby. But after being, um, or a fake Bobby for the Chinese theater. Um, but after he gets kicked out of Hunter Dunbar's neighborhood, um, he goes home and I, he, he... There's also a weird side plot where, like, there's a street ma- magician that he's, like, kind of buddies with, but also doesn't like... And is it David Blaine? Th- th- it, 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 no, it just never adds up to anything in like any substantial okay. way. Like you think they're going to bully him, but other people kind of bully him, but it never really affects him. Anyway, he, he kind of gets bullied. He's kind of upset at his job. And then he's really <laughs> upset about the Hunter Dunbar thing. And then he just has a moment where he's like, Hunter Dunbar, more like Dunbar. You're not even that good. You're a fake. You're a phony. You're a liar. And he's saying this to himself in the mirror. Oh, Okay. Like so like now we understand that he, he is like, you know, he's he's a character that is that has some anger who is not all mentally there, who has already killed someone. Right. Though accidentally. And this is when he um is when he's finally going to let loose. So, he breaks in to Hunter Dunbar's house. All right, I think that he's he already ties done multiple him up times. in his bed. Yes. Right, he, yeah, he's, he he's the, very he, comfortable doing this. But this time, he h- ties him up. Okay. It, and this seems like it's he, about to go into a weird out, place. He walks out dressed um, exactly like Jason Voorhees. And Hunter Dunbar sees him, and he takes out a big knife, and Hunter Dunbar starts screaming. And then he stabs him in the chest over and over and over again. And then nothing happens. Hunter Dunbar is fine. And then Moose starts laughing and takes the mask off and reveals that it's a fake knife. And he says, you thought I would hurt you? I would never hurt you. Look at you, a big actor. I'm a good actor, too. You thought I would hurt you? I would never hurt you. He repeats the line like that? Base, yes, <laughs> he repeats I mean, a lot of lines. That's, I mean, that that tracks, I guess. He's like laughing and incredulous, and then um, 
how does Hunter uh, Dunbar? Yeah, what's the reaction to that? Because I feel like if somebody came up to me and stabbed me, and that was just like, hey, just kidding. I love you. So, um, this is what I'm about to describe to you are effectively the last 10 to 15 minutes of the movie. And then it's just over. So (laughs) Hunter Dunbar is like, Oh man, I get it. You are a good actor. You're just a big fan. I'm sorry. I was mean to you before we should be friends. You know so much about me. How about me and you? We just get some ice cream and watch some movies. And John Travolta is like, yeah, yeah, that sounds great. And then kind of like hugs him. Like they're almost cuddling while Hunter Dunbar is describing that they get like strawberry ice cream and then watch like all his movies together. And the, the camera starts to fade pink. And <laughs> then... He Hunter Dunbar tells Moose that he needs him to uh, untie him so that they can watch the movies. And so John Travolta does, and then er, Moose does, and then Hunter Dunbar, I forget if he headbutts him, I think he like punches him in the nose, and then um, John Travolta starts like sobbing and crying, and then he reaches back, Hunter Dunbar grabs a shotgun and shoots the fingers off of moose's right hand and then like kicks him gets him on the ground shoots the shotgun again by his right ear and left ear presumably to deafen him drops the shotgun picks up a knife and then stabs him in the eye stabs moose in the left eye and then he pushes him outside he stops just short of killing him by stabbing him in the left eye and then realizes it's daylight out and that the guy's just like bleeding, doesn't have fingers, can't see out of one eye, and then he just pushes him outside. Oh. <clears throat> this leaves Moose wandering through the streets and people stop him and they're like, whoa, man, that's... And he's just like sobbing and bleeding, walking through the streets. And then... um so people come up to him, they're like, whoa, man, that's like crazy good makeup. Wow, LA's crazy. Nice job, oh dude. And then they like give him a couple bucks and, and just go down the street. And then um, his friend, Leah, who does the voiceover, finds him. And, um, okay, so this isn't the exact order, but this is how it felt. Is uh, She's like, and then I found him. I took him to the hospital, and he's doing better now. He doesn't have an eye, and he's missing some of his fingers. But things turned out better for him than Hunter Dunbar. And then it goes back, and we, like silently, without any dialogue, Hunter Dunbar gets like, opens the door after there's a knock on it. The cops are there with like the gardener who points at him. And then, like, he's covered in blood, and, and uh, Hunter Dunbar is covered in blood from his confrontation with John Travolta. And like, the gardener like points at him. And nods, like, yeah, that's the guy that killed the housekeeper. What? And and then the cops arrest him. And it's like a sad slow motion music. And then the movie's over. Uh, Okay, I'm... (laughs) So, thematically, that takes... I can't quite wrap my finger around what the hell that means thematically right it does it doesn't mean anything it doesn't make any sense because like they 
you get this character who's kind of sympathetic because you know obviously he's like you know he has autism or whatever he seems to kind of have difficulty interacting with people uh but also he does some crimes kills a person you know (laughs) uh but then by the end of it, you're like, well, man, it kind of it kind of sucks that he lost his fingers and got stabbed in the eye. So you feel bad for him. But then the yeah. other guy who really didn't do anything, I guess he was a dick to him in the beginning of the film, but like really didn't do anything other than be like, hey, man, you can't like break into my house and kiss me while I'm asleep. I mean, he's a he's a huge dick the entire time. But yeah, like the guy's breaking into his house, killing his housekeeper, and, right, and kissing him on the yeah, head. Yeah, and, and the asleep. payoff is like, well, and then tying him up. Yeah, the the no one gets justice served, and also it doesn't make sense. Like it's so weird that they build up that he's the fanatic, and all the like all the advertising makes it look like John Travolta's gonna go crazy, and then he doesn't. And the twist is that like Hunter Dunbar's the one that like fucking gets violent towards him, and at the end you're supposed to think like, oh man, that was overkill, but he's getting justice served because of that housekeeper that John Travolta that Moose accidentally murdered, and then it's like no, like if he talks to the police for one minute it's probably gonna be fine like he has a fucking he has like four fingers four of moose's fingers right in his bedroom right there and like it, it, there seems evidence like, that he was tied up right and it's like hey i can point to who who did it he broke into my house and put these photos on instagram they're probably still up <laughs> yeah like like, it seems like it'd be pretty easy for him to be able to be like, yeah, this dude broke into my house. He probably murdered my housekeeper. <laughs> Especially, like, because, like, I'd assume, did he take the letter when he accidentally killed her and left? I think so. It never comes up again. Okay. Because, like, that seems like a... He doesn't, like, tie... Wouldn't it make sense if he, like, tied him up and read him the letter? Yeah. I mean, that seems like it would track. There's there's a million ways that this was definitely just like, like, all right, we got to finish the script. Like, none of it works. There is no good person in this. Like, it's narrated by a third character that is, like, effectively inconsequential to the plot, never gets much of a personality. I mean, she is consequential. And really doesn't need to be there. She's consequential to the plot. She gives, she tells him about the app that allows him to break into the house. <laughs> but that's it. That's, that's, that's true. She is the impetus for the whole thing. But she doesn't, like, learn anything from that. Like, don't tell your, your friends who seem troubled and obsessive where their heroes live. Yeah, it seems like she learned the lesson of, like... Oh man, well I I gave him that app and like it seems like he got hurt really bad. I I should not do that or I should take care of him. It's just no one's good in this. Really, I thought the movie was going to be a straightforward horror movie. I thought it was going to be bad. The yeah, the uh, fucking tight the tagline is when the Hollywood dream becomes a nightmare. And it's not who's that's not what yeah, happens. Like I thought it was going to be like a a nightcrawler ripoff or something, right? Because because like Hollywood Dream seems to imply like like from if if that's the tagline that seems to imply that like Devin Sawa is just like 
this actor who got his big break or whatever and he's just like this is what this is what it's going to be like now i'm famous or whatever and then then you introduce the john travolta character who's like a little too into it and like kidnaps him or whatever but like it it seems like you got like whose dream is the hollywood dream because like it's not it doesn't really seem to be moose's dream Maybe. Yeah, and Hunter Dunbar doesn't seem like he's living like a great life or anything. He seems like a pretty sleazy dude. That's, I, sure. I mean, whatever. Well, here's the weirder part. Um, the movie is based off of a Indian film called Fan uh, from 2016 that is has a completely different plot that immediately sounds better. Which, the rough plot of that movie is that um, there is a guy who, um, I forget his life, he's, uh, he's, he's a fan, he's a really big fan of um, this Bollywood superstar who looks just like him. Okay. And then, and then he starts um, impersonating him. And people start, and like he gets him in trouble because he starts doing bad things and getting into situations. And then he's effectively starts impersonating this, uh, this superstar, this famous guy until, um, he like gets arrested by the police and he starts interfering with his family and like starts intimidating and and threatening his family. And, um, he breaks into his house and, uh, eventually they like switch roles where the superstar starts to or pretends to be the other guy to get him in trouble okay and then he gets shot and then it's like it's basically the same guy playing two roles where it's like almost a like kind of take on the prince and popper but a reluctant and they get in this big fight and then eventually it all comes out. And that makes to me more sense. I'd have to watch that movie to fully understand, um, I think, that the subtext of it. But that seems on its nose a fairly straightforward plot. Um, you want to know a fun fact about this movie that I just looked up? Because it doesn't have any what? songs in it. And it has a soundtrack. Wait. Yeah. The soundtrack is just one song called Jabra Fan. Which, is, which was <laughs> recorded in Hindi. And they re-recorded it in 12 other languages. Or uh, 9 Indian languages and 2 foreign languages. And then there's a mashup of all 11 languages. Oh, I was, I was hoping, I was hoping that you were going to like drop a fucking crazy twist on me and that the Limp Biscuit song that plays in the car <laughs> is actually Limp Biscuit doing a cover oh, of that. the song from this Indian film. No, that would be awesome. No, this is just wild because it's, that would be one thing that'd be like, damn, that was good. No, I'm, I'm sorry. I just like, I think that like, cause I was like looking at the soundtrack and I'm like, why are all these songs called something fan? And then I realized like, oh, it is literally just that phrase in the nine different languages 
I think there's a better movie at the core, one where Limp Bizkit does cover that song, but where John Travolta plays both of the roles. Yeah, that would be a th- like, that'd be a more interesting thing if they were to keep that aspect of it because it makes it a lot clearer of like oh that's the guy who killed the housekeeper or whatever right like it's like oh that's why they thought it was him because it looked like him but instead they went for john travolta in a very recognizable haircut and a very recognizable hawaiian shirt and a backpack and shorts against devin swabla it's just like i don't know it feels like 20 minutes into there like after they filmed the first 20 minutes they were like god damn it we made a meme this is a meme this isn't going to be good for anything other than one photo. Let's just get through yeah, it. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, the the box office kind of shows that. Like, when you said it made only $3,000, I'm like, that doesn't track. Because, like, way worse films make more money. But having sat through a, a discussion of it, like, I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah. I It might have made too much money. It, oh my god, I'm glad I didn't pay for it. Hey, also, um, I want to send this to you real quick. The, um, the cover for Fan, the Indian version, looks a little bit to me like, uh, the cover for a Indian, um, Spider-Man. Okay. Alright, you want to take a break? Let's take a break. Let's take a break. We'll take a break, and then um, it's time to talk about what you want to talk about, right? Oh, absolutely. I hope you're ready. I hope I'm ready for more adventures in Travolta. All right, we're back. Um, We just finished talking about... John Travolta's, uh, it seems, uh, tour de force is maybe not the word that the fanatic. Um, so for my film, I went a little bit older. Um, you know, I had a couple different thoughts initially. I was thinking that's a good fish possibly. Is it a good movie? I don't think so. Okay. I think, I think, I, I think I liked it when I was a kid, but just for the, uh, nude scene sure um yeah because it's what Halle Berry is that yeah. correct yeah yeah so uh I was thinking like the Punisher but he you know he plays the bad guy in that um but that's a good film that's probably like one of my favorite uh quote unquote superhero films um mostly because it has a guy that's basically like Johnny Cash but also an assassin which is cool um no, I so the film I picked, uh, I, I thought that there was a short film that I also watched that I thought would lead very perfectly into the film that I picked. Um, it turns out that the connection is not as clear, but I'm still going to talk about the the short film initially because, um, well, as we established, I think two, th- maybe three years ago. When did we start this podcast? I think about three years ago. Yeah, so we established pretty early on in the podcast uh, the canon 
that uh, if we ever wanted to make it big, we were going to become a 100% pro Scientology podcast. Yeah. Um, And so that's kind of where I want to start is. uh, So I watched Orientation. The goal of this podcast has either been to start our own religion or get in on that sweet, sweet Scientology momentum. Right. So Orientation, a Scientology information film, is a like 35 minute video that they uh show you pretty early on in your like onboarding process i think it's before you officially join um and i say that based off of like a line at the end of the movie um where the the guy who direct or the guy who's like narrating the whole thing kind of gives the people an out um but it, it is kind of like a, a brief uh, primer on um, Scientology as a whole. The good parts of that, uh, I mean, the basic parts of the weird parts. Um, so they don't go into any of the weird stuff because that's right. Because that's, that's the thing. It's like all the weird stuff is high level things. You have to be in and have given a lot of money to the church to reach the levels before they start telling you the real shit. I mean, the immediate thing is that automatically they check your thetan level, which is how many, like, dead alien souls are attached to your soul. But right. you don't know they're dead alien souls yet, right? Right. That That is, um, I believe that is stuff that you all learn at Operating Thetan 3, OT3. Um, that's when you learn about Xenu. That's where you learn about um, kind of that whole thing, the whole thing that, like, South Park parodied ages ago Mm -hmm. at this point that's all from that era like that that's like and that's like ot3 which before you even get to the ot levels you have to go clear going clear is like the i've you know i've gone through my my basic steps like going going clear is like getting through high school and then you start going through college which are your different ot levels i think it's honestly so watching this orientation film did not clear anything up for me really um because it did it make you see the value in being a member of the church no because so it opens up where they just talk about here's all the cool buildings we own like it's just like here's the the, you know here's the scientology college in in cambridge england here's the uh main headquarters in downtown los angeles here's you know it just like lists like spends like three minutes telling you about which is a tenth of the time. It's a 35-minute film. They spend a tenth of the time telling you, here's all the cool buildings we own. Look how pretty they are. And also, we have this cruise ship. And then it immediately goes into, I know what you're thinking. You might think Scientology is not a bona fide religion. Well, uh, here we have multiple uh, international courts that have said otherwise. And then it is just a montage cut of like the German court saying, like, Scientology is a bona fide religion. Like, like different people reading out the rulings on is Scientology a real religion, quote unquote. (laughs) And they just, they do that. So you're like, you know what? You know what I'll say? Um, I don't know any other religion that shows you a video of um, judges in courtrooms declaring that it is a legal religion. Oh, let me be clear. It is not judges in courtrooms. It is literally just text on the screen with different voiceovers reading it 
Still, when you go to your first Catholic church, at no point did they wheel out a TV to show you a video with text overlaid that the German government has approved of it as a religion. Right. Um, So they go, immediately they're on the defensive there. And then they go into, like, here's L. Ron Hubbard as a person. Uh, He was an expert in 29 different fields, including aviation, technology, filmmaking, and music, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, a, a fun fact that they just kind of gloss over was that uh, they're like, uh, L. Ron Hubbard really came to uh, uh, his uh, fame after the government spent billions of dollars working on uh, mind control programs, uh, which L. Ron made obsolete upon releasing uh, his hit book, Dianetics. Uh, because it contains okay. it contains the secret of how to fight against government mind control, and they just don't. That's just like briefly brought up, and then they move on to talk about how he's written two hundred seventy five books and pamphlets. Uh, Dianetics is the first. Okay, so, so one of the central premises of Scientology is that the government, yes, the government's mind controlling you, and yes, we're a legal religion. And yes, we got a way that you can break out of the government mind control. They don't. It doesn't even seem like they're like yes, the government's mind controlling you. It, it seems more like L. Ron Hubbard has already made it obsolete that the like the government is not mind controlling you thanks to L. Ron Hubbard. Like it seems more of like they're establishing him as a, a hero after the fact. And not that oh like for like for everyone yes like it's not like oh people who are in the religion don't get this it's just like everybody is like like you know how Catholics talk about Jesus dying to uh, absolve everybody of their sins or whatever or original sin mm-hmm. this seems like that which I still don't understand what that means but okay yeah this seems like that like where L Ron Hubbard uh, didn't give his life but he did write a book. Uh, so that we would not get mind controlled by the government, and the the mechanism by which that happens is not clear. Uh, Dianetics itself mm-hmm. they describe as being what the soul is doing to the body, whereas Scientology is the study of the spirit. Um, and then my notes from there get kind of weird because they just they, it it turns into like it because <laughs> you had an out of body experience and you just have a drawing. But. No. It, it, you can't quite describe what it is or where it came from. It's just it gets really weird because he goes to like the bookshop in the L. Ron Hubbard Museum, and it's just like if if somebody's looking to get into Scientology, what book would you recommend they start with? And they just list like six or seven books, which then they they mention are like offered in a package. Like it seems like they're it, it's just an advertisement. Uh. And they just do, uh, they like spend a good chunk of time trying to sell you on the books and then immediately move into uh, what is the like organization of Scientology, which as far as I can tell is multiple different organizations that are not legally tied together. They are all separate for reasons that are not made clear. Um, well, you have the Church of Scientology. You have um, like the, Hubbard Productions. You have like Sea Org. You've got the Church. You've got uh, Scientology College. Like ne- Neopets. It's just like everything is its own separate silo. Like everything is its separate thing legally, and, and like like they're all bound to the same project, but they are all they all exist like very clearly. They, they're like these are legally distinct entities. Um, 
which is weird. Like, I don't know why you need to know that in an orientation film. They move on. I've, I've written down the phrase, the bridge to total freedom. No idea what that's in reference to. Um, they break down the bureaucracy. Did they misspell what? Terabithia? No, they definitely said total freedom, unfortunately. Because um, he, huh. he didn't write that book. Um, but they break down the bureaucracy of the organization, which has like departments based on numbers. Like there's Department 21, which is like the office of L. Ron Hubbard. Don't know what they do. There's Department 17B-1. Don't remember what that does. They have their own ethics office, which they then make another. They do another weird uh, like tangent here to be like, uh, the courts have ruled that uh, the U.S. legal system is not allowed to uh, interfere with matters of the church. So the church is not subject to civil issues. We have our own justice system for that. And it, it's just like really seems to be like, yeah, if you want to do some crimes and, and like assault people, go ahead. It's fine. You just have to be important <laughs> enough and we'll make sure it all goes away. Um, that that 100 percent lines up with everything that I've heard. Right. Well, that's what that's the thing. It's like it really like I, like I don't know why else they would talk about having their own justice system. Uh, and then they they do another side where the the IRS has conducted a review and audit of the church because they do they go like, all right, is it a real church? The IRS has said so. They do like another one of those. Um, and then there's a bunch of testimonials at the end, uh, which include Kirstie Alley, uh, Isaac Hayes, Chick Corea is in it, um, and then of course John Travolta. None of them are listed by name. It's only. Who's Chickory? Uh, is like a jazz musician, a really good jazz musician. But like, I didn't realize he was into Scientology. Um, and so my last note is just, "Yo, Chickory is in this." <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's it. And then it, it ends with. Uh, did I? I thought I wrote this down. Uh, it ends with. Um. I don't, I don't have the exact quote, but it ends with the narrator of it saying, like, you can leave this movie theater right now, having watched everything we just said, and not mention Scientology ever again. That is your right. That is your choice. It would be stupid to do so, but you can do it. You can also drive a car off a bridge or put a bullet in your brain. Um... But if you leave, it says yes, that. Yeah, and, and it's like, but if you leave, God. but if you leave today, uh, and decide that you want to get involved with Scientology, my friend, you have, uh, it's like you have made a friend of yourself or some weird shit. Like, <laughs> like it, it's it does this weird thing where it almost seems like a threat. Like if you leave and tell anybody about this, like we will like murder you. Oh yeah, like, like you could you could go off a bridge. You could yeah. You could start your car and set off a bomb planet underneath yeah, it. Re- you could drink poison. It really does seem like 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 they're threatening you if like if you talk about this. Um, that's up on YouTube. You can go watch it. It's really bizarre. And <laughs> um, does not did not give you really any more information about Scientology. So I started there because the film that I watched. John Travolta was. Is John Travolta in it? What? The Scientology? The orientation film? Yeah. Yeah, he has a cameo at the end where he talks about what Scientology is. He shows up and he says, hey, it means a lot to me. 
Yeah, basically. They just it, it's just like a bunch of people like like there's like a chef and he's like uh before it was really hard for me to deal with people, but now after uh putting Scientology in my life, I've ma- it's made it so much easier for me to talk to other people. And they just like have a bunch of people. Uh there's like an Asian art curator or something like like wide varieties of people just talking about what Scientology has done for them. You know, standard testimonial stuff. Um but so I watched this because I the film that I picked was Battlefield Earth. Oh God. Uh, um which What year did that come out? It came out in I think uh I should have this information readily available. I do not it came out in like ninety late nineties, right? Yeah, I think it came out in ninety nine. Uh let, okay. let me double ch- I double check that. I have memories of being a child. And going to the Warner Brothers store in the mall. I believe it was the Warner Brothers store. Because I remember a lot of... um, I'd always go there and they had like Bugs Bunny and fun stuff. But they had uh, Battlefield Earth action figures. Yes. And I just remember seeing what I knew as Danny Zuko from Greece with like a ridiculous goatee and like dreadlocks. Yeah. Yes. Hold on. And he's got like a big kind of for like cone cone head forehead or yeah. does his head just look weird yeah no they, they have different skulls so um i guess <laughs> kind of where they're in the lead there they have different skulls <laughs> yeah well they're an alien race um let me pull up my notes for this one because i did take notes throughout the entirety of this film um which first off uh it's relatively hard to find it's like not available on like amazon i think i had to rent it through itunes or something um it opens up. It's set in the year three thousand. I don't remember if they actually tell you that. Um, and but you it, just kind of get that vibe. Yeah. So mankind seems to be living. It's got a pretty big three thousand vibe. It's real shiny. People got different skulls. Uh, Andre th- cool Andre goatees. three stacks comes out. Says we're living in the year three thousand. Um, no. So mankind is living in like caves and and seems to be in a very like hunter gatherer state um and you get introduced to this guy who i don't think you ever find out his name or eventually you do is johnny um johnny travolta and uh he is telling a woman that like is set up to kind of maybe be a love interest, but then she also disappears for like three quarters of the film. Um, but he's like telling her like, Oh, you know, I'm going to, he's like, I'm going to go to, uh, I'm going to go try to find food or something. You can't come with. And she's like, Oh, don't you trust me? And he's like, no, I trust you. But that's, that's why you need to stay here and make sure everybody else is taken care of. Uh, and he runs into, well, he runs into a, a mini golf course. And he fight, he winds up like trying to fight a Stegosaurus statue. Wait, hold on. How? Uh, well, why? Why? It, why? Why is there a mini golf course? It just is. It's overgrown with stuff. He just finds okay. it, and he doesn't know what it is. Uh, and he tries to fight. So is this like a gag? Yes. So that's the thing. Is there's a lot of stuff in this film that seems like it's funny, and I cannot tell if it's being played for a joke or not. Sometimes. Um, and I'll get, okay. there's, there's a part later in the film where I'm like, oh, maybe this film is a comedy. Um, but he like 
has this like weird fight with the mini golf course stuff. Some other guys show up. They venture into the city, like an old city. It's I don't know what city it is, um, but the city. The first thing that I noticed was that the city looks like, uh, like what you would imagine a city in the early ni- or late nineties looks like. Like there's there's no like future technology. There's no. It does not look like anything has changed. Um, I have, but it's uh, overgrown. Yes, it looks like I am Legend. If you remember, like what the movie I Am Legend looked like, vibe-wise, like when he's exploring oh, yeah. New York, it looked like that, which I thought was really weird because it's, it's a thousand years in the future. It's and, supposed to have been, yeah, okay. Um, first, oh, uh, here's some uh, real quick before I go back into the plot. I do have some notes on like the editing and the the dialogue, which is that the dialogue is f- impossible to understand. Like it is mixed so low, and I thought like is something wrong with my sound system and it's not it's like they just like mixed the dialogue as quiet as possible so i had to like crank it in order to be able to hear what the hell people were saying and eventually i just put subtitles on second thing is that all the cuts in this film like most of them are that screen door wipe oh that's good so it's very star wars yes and so that's that's the thing right is like there are so many times when I'm watching this film and I'm like, oh, this guy has just watched a bunch of other science fiction films and is trying to rip them off. Um, almost every shot is a Dutch angle. Like there, there are, and it's a thing where I thought when I noticed it, I'm like, is, is something wrong with me? Is like, is my TV tilted? Because it really seems like every shot in this film is a Dutch angle. And I went and did some research afterwards. And it's a thing a bunch of critics critics noticed, uh, critics noticed as well. Uh, Roger Ebert, I think, wrote in his review, which he gave it like a half star, saying, um, Roger Christian, who's a director, has discovered that some film uh, directors like to shoot at an angle. He has yet to discover why. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, okay, and that's for anyone that doesn't know, a Dutch angle is when it's like a slightly tilted angle and it's supposed to make you feel a little disoriented, often mimicking like the character's on-screen feeling of either being uncomfortable or intimidated or also disoriented. Yeah, a really good example of that is... Or just like, uh, fucked up, dude. Yeah, uh, do the right thing. The scene in the uh, the like pizza joint Do the joint right or thing? Yeah, there's the scene in the pizza joint. Or, do the right uh, thing. Yes. Is that not the name of that film? Do the right... No, it is. I just I just like saying it. It's a good yeah, movie. Do but the that, right but there's like a whole show... Do the right, do yeah, the right the, thing? Yeah, there's a whole showdown in like the restaurant in which most of that is shot with a Dutch angle to really like drive home the fact that like the restaurant owner is like really un- making the, uh, the patrons uncomfortable or whatever. Um... And uh, uh, buddy, did you look up what the director did? What? Roger Christian? Like, yeah. Why? I was about to say that. So he supposedly did it because he wanted it to look like a comic book. Yeah. Well, apparently he was also the second unit director on Return of the Jedi and the Phantom Menace. Oh yeah, I was I was going to bring that up later. Yes. 
Okay, um, so so definitely at some point in this movie, I believe he went to George Lucas and was like, I just don't know how to get from this point to this point. And George Lucas was like, oh, a wipe. Uh, look at your standard transitions and screen door it. Well, okay, so here's the thing. That's this, this, great. Before I go back into the plot, let me do the side stuff of like set, set up of the movie, of how this movie came about and all this weird shit. Um, so... L. Ron Hubbard wrote this book in like the eighties and gave like gave a signed copy to John Travolta who had joined Scientology in like seventy six. I think it was eighty two is when he wrote the, wrote this book. Well, that's a nice little gift. Yeah, and John Travolta was like, I've always wanted to adapt this film. Like this is like a book. This wait, John Travolta joined Scientology in seventy six. Yeah, something like that. Like that's like the grease year. Yeah, like Greece came out and he was straight into Scientology. Man, I'm pretty sure Scientology was like part of the reason that he got into, like he was able to get the part in Greece. I think I think I've heard that that is like how he got most of his roles when he first started. Um, But so he wanted to adapt. Notorious. Yeah. So he wanted to adapt this uh, adapt this film. Uh, for, for a long time and nobody would really do it, especially because like John Travolta did not really have a career, you know, like he, he did grease, he did blowout, which is, I don't think, I don't know. It was super well received, but it was a good film. Um, but for the most part, and he did Saturday night fever. But then after that, like the eighties were really kind of bleak for him. Um, look who's talking look who's talking to now still talking yeah um so eventually he uh he had pulp fiction and with pulp fiction he was kind of a big name again and so he went to um i think he went to bill mechanic uh who is a head of 20th century fox and was just like look i got this book i want to make this into a film and the guy's like i'm not really sure about it uh and there's a quote from Bill Mechanic where he says, after the fact, John wanted me to make Battlefield Earth. He had Scientologists all over me. They come up to you and they know who you are and they go, we're really excited about Battlefield Earth. This did not impress Mechanic. <laughs> Do you think in any way, shape, or form that weirding me out is going to make me want to make this movie? Um, so they, they it was like in like production hell for a long time because they couldn't get anybody to sign on. Finally, with Pulp Fiction, they they got enough backing to do it um in the like run-up to it so here's the thing in 1984 they built a 30 foot high inflatable figure of the film's villain turl who is played by john travolta this was long before they had anything down for this film uh john travolta is the villain Yes, he's the villain. So, so here's the thing: is he wanted to be the main character, like the 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 human that you see in the beginning of the film. He wanted to be that in the early '80s when they were trying to adapt this initially. By the time they actually got around to making but the he, film, he was like, "I'm too old to do this. I'll play the bad guy." Okay. So they built this thirty-foot-high inflatable figure. On Hollywood Boulevard. What year? Eighty four, like a full six. It, the yeah. film came out in two thousand. So they, they spent a long time. Uh, Travolta described the book in interviews while he was trying to get people to make it as like Pulp Fiction for the year three thousand and like Star Wars, only better. <laughs> 
Um, hey, I'm just doing some reading real quick on this, and it says since John Travolta wasn't played or wasn't able to do it and took the role of Turtle, um, the main character was played by Barry Pepper, who you told me was named Johnny, but according to this, his full name is Johnny Goodboy Tyler. Yeah, see, that's stuff that they do not is not at all in the film. Like they just call him Johnny. Just the book. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah, so I and I don't know. The, the characters do very. There's very little dialogue back and forth, except between Turl and who's played by John Travolta and his like second hand man, played by Forrest Whitaker, whose name is Kerr. Uh, okay. Beyond that, pretty much all the dialogue is. I mean, all the dialogue's bad, but we'll get we'll get into that. Um, before we move back into the plot, I do want to to leave you with this note, which this is where I would have brought up that the guy was the second unit director on the Phantom Menace. Um, but they initially approach and return of the Jedi. He was in charge of all the Ewoks. Sure. Um, so they initially approached Quentin Tarantino to direct the film. Uh, Tarantino declined <laughs> and they were like, well, let's try to get Lucas. And Lucas was just like, here, I know a guy. And he gives them, he gives them yeah. Roger Christian. Um, my guess is they went to Lucas because they were like, oh, it's like Star Wars. And he Lucas <laughs> was just, just like, mm, I'm, I'm good. Thank you. Um, so, you know what would have been amazing is if Tarantino was just in a fucked up mood and was like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And he probably would have been murdered by the Scientologists, actually. So it probably would have been a good thing. It would have been really hard for him to work the N-word into this film because, like, Forrest Whitaker is, like, the only black character, and he's an alien. Man, it just would have been, like, the name of the alien race or, like, one of the guys that okay. was his name. But, well, we're, we're about to get into this. So um, Johnny meets these other two guys. They go into the city. They get some food or they're, they're like going to rob him or something or kill him. And he manages, it's like, well, here, I've got, I've got some food. Let's, let's go find some more food together. And so like already from the, right off the bat, you get the sense that like Johnny is a nice guy. He is caring. He's empathic. Um, and food's hard to find. It's, it's not hard to find necessarily, but they do have to hunt it. Like we're back to hunter gathering things. So like, okay. So, um, they go into the city, and while they're in the city, suddenly uh, it's it definitely is somebody who watched Predator. Uh, Dreadlock Man shows up and starts like Im- immediately shoots one of the other guys who's not named, shoots the uh, the another guy not named, shoots Johnny's horse. And then shoots mm. Johnny in the back. And when this happens, my first thought is like, did they just fucking kill the main character of this movie? Um, but it turns nope, out it's not that good. And, and screen door wipe. Johnny is now screaming on a cage that is attached to a spaceship. <laughs> um, but they so they abducted him. Yeah. And, and so when he's running away from the uh, the dreadlock man with the, the future gun, um, they do a shot that is almost like it's not shot for shot remake, but it is the exact same sequence of events um, for the death of the uh, dancer Android from uh, Blade Runner, whose name I cannot remember right now, but it's the lady with the snake um, when she's running from Harrison Ford and he shoots her in the back like twice and she stumbles through 
a bunch of like glass panes, they like literally just mm-hmm. redo that shot when Johnny gets captured. Um, and then when he's on the ship, they're flying into, they go to Denver. It's the first time you get a title card to kind of give you a sense of where the heck they are. Uh, they're flying into Denver to this huge dome that like very much looks like, um, not not Blade Runner because there's another shot later that looks like Blade Runner, but it, it it's like there's so much of this movie that just is like ripping off or trying to be inc- incredibly reminiscent of other science fiction films. Which, if I understand, fits into the idea of Scientology. Maybe because I think there's something in Scientology that like. All science fiction is an echo of reality. Sure. Of like that, what actually happened in the distant past or Yeah, that's that's the Thetans are telling us. Yeah, like that seems like a, a thing that is absolutely in the canon of Scientology. Um So I'm gonna, uh, when they get to Denver, the humans get off the ship and immediately can't breathe. And they get thrown these like no, weird looking nose clips that they have to put on, which seems very Waterworld esque. Um, but they just like go over the nose. Great! What a great movie to rip <laughs> off. But yeah, they go over their like nose, and then they've got it, it. Like you know how bolo ties look, where the 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 strings hang down. They basically have that dri- like dripping from their nose. It looks like they've just got big long things of snot. The entire film because they can't breathe without him. But what's also weird is that when they get to this spot, right, they get to Denver, which is like the human processing plant. Um, still unclear what's mm-hmm. going on. Um, they can't breathe, but also the aliens can't breathe, which doesn't track. Mm. Like it doesn't make any sense that like the it's like it seems like the humans could breathe fine before, but now they can't. And you would think that means that the aliens have made this atmosphere inside this huge dome that they've got more hospitable to them but that's also doesn't seem to be the case because they also need the the gas to breathe bizarre so no no one can breathe yeah i guess without the assistance of these nose clips and and then that and that becomes a big plot point later but at this time okay second question not explained right now um is this the Denver airport is this processing plant? No, the no, Denver it airport. is. It is just. It's just listed as Denver. There's no other than a spaceship landing there. There's no indication of what it is. Um, well, from what I know, the sign, the spaceships in Scientology look like airplanes. So I feel like this is this somehow is, related the, to so the Denver airport conspiracy. This is not Scientology, and this is that. This is what's really fascinating about this film. Is that there's nothing in it that actually ties it back to Scientology, which is honestly surprising. I, I could I would have there's a moment later in the film that I will get to where I'm like, this is where they're gonna tie it to Scientology, and they don't. And I'm like This is just straight science. It's just straight science fiction. Yes. It is it is from the mind of L. Ron. Absolutely. Hubbard. That is the thing. It's like there that was like a thing that was super bizarre about this is because I had assumed that this was going to be heavy on the Scientology, and it is not at all. Um, you finally get introduced to John Travolta and Forrest Whitaker here. Uh, every other word out of John Travolta's mouth is man-animal. The Every other word <laughs> beyond that is rat brain. 
Um, and there's a great moment where <laughs> are both of those referencing humans? Yes, because he's got that big old brain and that big old yeah, predator so, head. So you still don't know what they're called. The the these. I mean, you know they're aliens, but that's about it. Um, there's a great. Do you know his name's Turtle? No, not yet. Um, so eventually, there's this is a great moment where. The humans are being loaded off the ship. They can't breathe. They, they, they were given these nose clips so they could breathe. While trying to corral them, somehow Johnny gets the gun of one of the aliens and shoots it and kills it. Uh, and they the reaction... Now, that, from, now, that's the Johnny get your gun I'm talking about. Yeah. And the reaction from the aliens is to not do anything about this. And then he just kind of like drops the drops the gun, or they get the gun back somehow. They don't do anything. John Travolta shows up. And it's like, what the hell happened here? And they're like, the the man animal it, it shot it shot the guard. And he's like, that's impossible. Give it give it your gun. And the guy's like, what? And he's like, give it your gun. He's like, I'm not going to give him my gun. He just shot the guy. And he's like, I'm not going to believe that until I see it. And he forces his subordinate to give the Johnny the gun and then Johnny immediately shoots the guy <laughs> but not John Travolta and John Travolta's just like well damn I guess it does happen it's so <laughs> what yeah it's a, a very bizarre sequence um and like Johnny can hear the whole conversation no between... no, no no so they they do speak a different language and eventually you find out that they're they're okay. called cyclos Cyclos? Cyclos. Like psycho, but with an L in there. So, like, man, that sounds like an off-brand juggalo. Right. So, they're cyclos. Um, and it's, it's really unclear because they're like... That sucks. They like That's the worst part of this so far. Oh, buddy. The planet they're from is also called Cyclo. So... It's... Okay. Yeah. Sure. Um, well, it's not like indoor is great. It's pretty good. It's... Yeah. So... Naboo, I mean, whatever. Planet names aren't right. Keep talking. But, but when you introduce, when they introduce them, they're not speaking English, and then they'll like randomly switch into English so that you can understand them. But it's not, it's not always clear what language people are speaking, which becomes a plot point later because Johnny eventually learns their language and he can speak it. And there's a couple jokes where he like will say something, and one of the other humans would be like in English. And he's like, oh, okay, hold on. Um, <laughs> weird. So the, why are there jokes in this I movie? I do not know. So th- at this point, we're like 25 minutes into this film. I have a note that says, I'm not sure a single shot has not been a Dutch angle. <laughs> um, uh, and, and here's my plot syn- synopsis that I've written down 25 minutes into this film. It is a two-hour film. So we're almost a quarter of the way, oh my almost God. A quarter of the way through. The plot synopsis is, humans are ruled by cyclos. John Travolta was a security officer on Earth and was good at it, but he's getting ready to leave. Some sort of king or something shows up and decides to renew his post for another 50 cycles. cycles. So that's like the, the main driving plot of this film is that John Travolta plays the security officer Turl, who has been like the main security officer of Earth, and is excited to mm-hmm. be able to go back to his home planet and then the, uh, I, 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 he's not the planet ship because it's a different guy. But like basically the CEO of the corporation. There's like this weird. They have corporations. Each planet is its own corporation. Like the CEO of the main 
cyclo company basically shows up and renews his job contract and forces him to stay on earth which he fucking hates and so okay what his plan is is that kerr finds a gold mine in the in the mountains turl is not an intimidating name um so um neither is kerr kerr isn't even a full name so kerr finds gold mine in the mountains that he was hiding from turl because he was okay. waiting for Turl to leave go. so that he could go. There's gold in them hills. Yes. So he's waiting for Turl to leave. Earth gold. So that he could get the gold and then do something with it. I guess it's money as well. Um, and he was going to like retire gold, rich or. Typically, yes. Or, or pay somehow bribe his way off of the planet or something. Kerr was looking very much forward to being the main security officer and not being a subordinate of Turl. <sighs> They find the, the he finds out the curse hiding the gold from him. They do a scan and find out that they cannot get the gold because there's uranium also in the mountains. And apparently, the radiation from the uranium will react with the gas mixture that the cyclos breathe and explode. Okay, now listen. I don't know anything about science, but that sounds stupid immediately. Uh. Do you know anything about writing uh, stories and or narratives? Because what I've just described is what we call in the business a Chekhov's gun. Okay. What's that? Uh, th- that You mean that gold's going to explode? No. In the third act? No, I mean that they're going to use radiation to blow up the gas mixture that the cyclos breathe. Um, oh. So... Turl and Kerr have this plan where they go to the planet ship and they say, um, the workers are going to revolt. They are not getting enough pay. Uh, so you need to, you, we need to raise their pay. And somebody literally says the line, Kerr, did, did you never take an economics course? (laughs) And the, the, really? Okay. It is nuts. It is nuts that this movie definitely got punch-ups for jokes. Yeah, sure. It doesn't make sense. Um, When you look at John Travolta's character design, and that's the biggest joke you need. He's, by the way, he is um, devouring this film. Every moment that he is on screen, you can tell how much he fucking loves it. He's not good, but he loves doing this film. Um that okay no that's the fucking thing that is the thing about john travolta that is also true of uh the fanatic like every bad movie that john travolta's in he loves it he's like he there's a reason both him and nicholas cage were in face off like nicholas cage does the same thing but nicholas cage sometimes picks good movies right um because his ratio, Nicholas Cage's ratio, is pretty solid. I don't know if that's true. It's okay, it's I, not, I mean, it's it's his, his ratio. He's, he's batting five hundred at least. His yeah, his ratio is solid only in the sense that um, he just happened to be in better movies. I think. I, I think it's less about his skill as an actor and more about his ability to just like pick a thing that he's interested in and then also happens to be cool or interesting, even if it's maybe not good. Oh, I absolutely believe that that Nicolas Cage is a better actor than John Travolta. Oh, I mean, that's true. Yeah. 
Um, so they they're fake. They're trying to fake this worker revolt. Like it's completely made up. They're just trying to say the workers are trying to revolt, um, which leads the planet ship to say, um, "Production equals profits. Profits equal pay. If if they want more money, they're gonna have to produce more." And they're like, "Well, we'll bring in new workers." And it's like, "Well, we can't do that because that they'll have to pay those workers." And then Turl and Kerr have this moment of like. Well, what if we use the humans as slave labor, which they already do? But they're like, but what if we had them mine the like? What if we taught them how to mine? And everybody immediately laughs at them. They're like, humans can't be taught how to use mining equipment. Um, and also, it's against they're 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 rat brain tiny heads. This yeah. has been established, right? Who knew like, they knew how to use guns? Yeah, they're like they they don't know how to use mining equipment. And also, it's against regulations and curses. Uh, a planet ship facing uh, uh, ship, a planet ship uh, f- faced with a profit-threatening situation is relieved of all other ordinances to pursue, to protect, and to acquire said profits. Um, and they basically pitch this idea of like, let us teach the humans how to mine. We'll do it in secret. That way, if it goes bad, you know, nobody has to know because they're just trying to get the equipment. Uh, and they're immediately told no. And so... Okay. Um, they leave, and they're like, well, how are we going to get this done? Uh, Forrest Whitaker's character says, uh, I've got five wives to support. And, and the way he says... <laughs> and the way he says it is exactly like the way the cabbie in Total Recall, when he tries to guilt Arnold Schwarzenegger or Douglas Quaid into like helping him, he's like, man, I got six kids to feed. Or whatever. He yeah. says it the exact same way. Like a thing where, again, okay. it's a thing where I'm like, somebody just took that line from that movie and we're like, well, let's make, let's put into this one. Um, I, that, that said, I think the line, I've got five wives, support would be, uh, would make any movie better if he's. So they decide that the human from the beginning, they're like, well, he seems pretty smart. Let's use him. Um, and they, they like try to capture him and he escapes and all this other stuff. So they, they come up with this plan. They're like, like, well, we need to bribe him. They, they keep coming up this like, if you want somebody to do something for you, you have to have leverage over them. And that's like a theme of this movie because it keeps coming up. Um, and they're like, well, what do, he, what do man animals even like? And it's like, well, they like food. And it's like, yeah, but we can't just give him any food. He won't do anything. It's like, we got to give him his favorite food. And it's like, well, what do they like to eat? It's like, well, I have this idea. Let's let him free, like let them escape, and see what they eat. Because if they can escape and they can hunt whatever they want, they'll eat their favorite food. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. To me? Or is this the dialogue? No, to you. Um, to you, the no. person I'm doing this podcast with. Does that seem like a solid <laughs> fucking plan? No, it sounds yes. dumb. Okay, so immediately what happens is the humans... They think at any given opportunity you'll just go eat your favorite thing if you're, like, really hungry? Yes. So that's what exactly what happens. They let the humans escape. The humans wind up in, like, a fucking movie theater or something. I don't even remember. But they catch... They find a There's... rat. He finds a fucking rat. Okay. And he picks the rat up. And they don't have fire. They don't know how to make fire, apparently. Well, they do, but they don't have the stuff. They don't have flint to make fire. And so he just eats the rat cold. And you get an immediate cut to 
John Travolta and Forrest Whitaker having this back and forth say rats rats are their favorite food and it's like are you sure and it's like yeah i don't know why he's eating it raw but they love rats and it's a very funny moment in this film that otherwise is not really funny uh, it's like the only good thing about this film are these moments where john travolta and forrest whitaker are having these like uh, I think one of the reviewers said it's like Abbott and Costello, which is a very accurate description. Um, you know, I thought that was good. I thought before rats, like I was hoping it wasn't going to be that. I thought they were going to do like the Twinkie joke that it's been like a thousand years since. Oh, yeah. No, no humans or whatever. Uh, that could that could have been a good opportunity for the Twinkie joke that they find a Twinkie at the movie theater and it's still good. And then they think their favorite food is Twinkies. It could have worked, but they didn't. So instead, they're like... They went with rats. Yeah, so instead they went with raw rats. Raw, uncooked rats. Humans love them. Uh, So they recapture the humans. They use some sort of weird brain thing. I, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like a ray that shoots into somebody's head to teach Johnny science and everything they like teach him the cyclo language and all this other stuff and there's this weird moment where they go to teach him the cyclo language and this alien shows up like this like ghost alien appears before him and it's a different alien no idea what it is and it just says like i'm so sorry that i'm not a a cyclo here to help you learn the cyclo language uh have pity on this one uh if you're seeing me i'm probably already gone for the cyclists have conquered my miserable planet like this weird thing and then he just disappears and is not present at all from there on and they just like teach johnny math and all this other stuff and and you know skipping through some like weird boring plot development Hold on, how it okay? So he knows that's math. He knows molecular does biology. Does that character or alien species ever come back up? Uh, no. It's just he shows up and just apologizes for not being a cyclo, and then immediately like disappears. And then they just have like a, a it's not really like a montage, but it's just like a couple scenes where like Johnny is clearly learning their language and learns math and molecular biology, and he's trying to teach the other humans that. He uses this knowledge to break into, like, a security locker. They steal a bunch of guns from the Cyclos, and they have a moment where they're like, all right, you're going to let us go. Are you going to help us, like, overthrow your own species or whatever? Because we've got guns now. Uh, And John Travolta laughs, and they pull the trigger on him, and the guns aren't loaded. And he's like, like, you fools or whatever. Um, And so to show Johnny just how, like... Once again, Johnny, main character, Johnny Goodboy, not John Travolta. Yeah. So to show Johnny Goodboy just kind of how bleak the situation is, uh, Turl, John Travolta's character, takes him to a library. um, And he's like, when we conquered your planet in the early early 21st century, which is why all the buildings look old. um, So they Mm -hmm. do actually explain that, which I'm surprised. Um, but he's like, when we conquered your planet in the first, early 21st century, it took us only nine minutes uh, against oh. your planet's entire armies. Um, what makes you think that you could beat us? Uh, here is the history of your planet or whatever. And he leaves and he gives him a chance to like look through the books. 
Um, and this is where I thought like he was going to pick up a, he like picks up a book and he looks at it and it's like, like some like upbeat music starts playing and I'm like, Oh fuck, it's Dianetics. Hell yes. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's not, it's, it's like he, they zoom in on it and it's the declaration of independence. Oh, and that's, and then he like, they leave and he goes back and he's talking to the humans again. Um, he's just reading the Declaration of Independence. Yeah, and that's it. Like, and the, I, does some, he at least like turn it over and then read the the, the, the map back on the, of pa- the Declaration? Of, no, yeah. no, he doesn't know about the map because it's not the original. It's just a copy of it in a book. Oh, okay. Um. So they go like John Travolta takes them to the woods. For reasons that I'm not entirely sure why. Nothing good ever happens in the woods. And then he starts to show off by, like, shooting the legs off of a cow. It's unclear because they use the same gun, and I guess it must have, like, phaser and stun settings. Because sometimes mm-hmm. sometimes when they shoot, it just kind of, like, it's like a force push. And sometimes when they shoot, it literally, like, will cut things off. So, but they never say set phasers to stone. No, he just like shoots a cow and the leg just disappears. Hey, real quick. Yeah. Um, I want to take a, a side detour into just a real quick Star Wars conversation. Of course. I mean, this is You're, the thing. Yeah. We, we have to. Um, yeah, you notice that at the beginning of A New Hope, they do set their, their guns to stun, and they shoot Leia with, like, the silver, or the blue circles, and then that's never come up again in any Star Wars movie? I don't remember that. I will have to, yeah, to watch check, for that. Check it out. <laughs> Say that one more time? I'll, I'll have to watch for that the next time I watch the Star Wars movies. Yeah, they have a stun setting that they make very clear at the beginning when they capture Leia, and then every single other moment in Star Wars is just red lasers. Well, to be fair, they probably they've they've always been shooting to kill. They haven't really needed to stun, so I guess that makes sense. It just seems like at some point that could have come up a second time. You would think maybe they'll bring it back for the next one. Um, just like. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Let's see. Let's got to tie the whole saga together. Yeah. That'll be another long episode. God. So, Turl is shooting the legs off of cows. They they do one bad graphics like like effect scene where the the leg just disappears like they just like airbrushed it out of the film <laughs> frame and then they immediately like just the rest of it is being done off screen like it just cuts to like showing John Travolta and he does the thing where he puts the gun behind his back and it's continuing to shoot. And then suddenly a guy charges out of the forest dressed like a fucking bear and like tackles John Travolta (laughs) and it's other humans. Johnny grabs the gun and like holds Travolta at gunpoint and basically says to the humans, like I, I know their language. I know a bunch of other stuff we're gonna take our planet back and the humans are like cool and then leave and then immediately johnny is just like with his like buddies you know he's like three three people that he's been with most of this film some of them have names uh i only know sammy and you'll know why here in a second um but as soon as the other humans leave johnny just gives turl his gun back and says something like 
I figured that you would have a way to stop me if I could shoot you. So here's your, here's your gun back. What? Yeah, he's just like he's what? like. I know that if you I tried to shoot you, you would you know you would have stopped me somehow. So I'm just gonna give you your gun. And then immediately, and immediately, Kerr comes out from behind the ship with the girl from the beginning with an explosive collar on, and he threatens to blow her head off. And Johnny's like, no, I'll help you. I'll mine your gold. And he's like, all right, cool. I'll give you my word that uh, he's like, uh, no, sorry. And then they put a, an explosive collar on his buddy Sam's head, and he's like, don't blow up, Sam. I'll mine your gold. He's like, I give you my word. I will not kill your friend. And then immediately hands the remote to Forrest Whitaker, who then detonates it. <laughs> and so this, and that's like a thing that has happened multiple times where like John Travolta's character will do this thing where he's like, um, like there's a scene earlier in the film where he's like at like a bar and he clearly has this, um, like agreement with the bar owner or the bar owners doing some shady shit, but like, because he gives information to John Travolta, he continues to let it happen or he like murdered somebody or something. I don't fucking remember. Um, and, and he just like hints that like, even though you're leaving the planet, our, our agreement is still in effect. And John Travolta laughs and he goes like, Oh no, they're going to know about that. And he's like, you just told me you wouldn't tell. I was like, no, I said, as long as our agreement was still in place and you were giving me useful information, I would not tell them. As soon as I'm off this planet, you are no longer providing me useful information. Um, so, so what's even the point of every... Okay, a lot of twists and turns here. Yeah, so that, that, it, so basically what happens is... And I've got... Here's in my notes. Uh, okay, Kelly Preston, who is married to John Travolta at the time. I don't know if they're still married. Um, is then suddenly in this film. And the setup is... She works for the planet ship and she basically is she's like dating Turl. Uh there's a there's a gag where she talks about having a long tongue. Uh, or where they show her with a long tongue. That's a photo that I sent you that was disturbing. Um, she has a long tongue? Yeah, she has the long tongue. For reasons that are, and, like like it seems it's like Turl likes that. Right. Because it's it's very strongly hinted that she's going to blow him immediately after the scene cuts. Um like she like Okay, I thought they were saying that Kelly Preston eats ass. No, 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 no. It's like she like licks his face and then slowly starts moving down his body and then the scene cuts. But basically she gives him information that says that the planet ship has been cooking the books. He's been lying about the profits that the, the planet has been making. Um, I don't remember if of it's course. under it's underreporting or overreporting. There's a lot of weird conflicts in this, huh? So that's where Turl finally gets the leverage against the planet ship to let him go through with doing this idea of giving the humans the mining equipment so that they could get the gold without him knowing. They still don't like the planet ship still doesn't know that the humans are going to get this gold. Um, th- they. I, they give him the plane and the the stuff to go figure out how to get the gold, and they say go get the gold. And instead, Johnny, now with knowledge of the human race, just goes to Fort Knox, which the safe is open, and they just take all the gold from Fort Knox, and then they go to mm-hmm. DC, and they go to DC. Um, Classic to move the, to the Library of Congress to get some more info. Um, 
he knows now for uh, I assume from the the learning equipment that radiation will kill the cyclos or at least it reacts with their gas there's some stuff that happens where they they get tanks and guns and jets that are all still fully operational uh, all these humans that did not know how to operate a gun earlier now suddenly know how to fly Harrier jets. Um, uh, hey, educations. Uh, maybe he stole the the helmet or whatever that made him smart. It's it's not clear how that information, other than like maybe Johnny just teaching them. It's bizarre. Uh, Forrest Whitaker tries to turn on John Travolta by blackmailing him. Uh, Travolta reveals that he's too smart for that and has already killed the bartender and then blows Kerr's hand off with his gun. Mm. Um, Whoa, just like Hunter Dunbar blew off Moose's hand. Yeah, except, again, it's like a thing where like they just did the film and then airbrushed his hand off. There's no blood. His hand is just suddenly gone. Okay. Which is, sure. Yeah. Um, I have a note here that says they do a ripoff of the elevator hallway scene from The Matrix. We're like running in slow motion down a hallway with like the columns blowing apart, like very clear, like Matrix vibes, which came out like a year before this movie. Um, mm-hmm. uh, oh, here's where it is. The dome in Denver looks exactly like a skeletal version of the Tyrell building. Like, you know, the big like ziggurat looking building in the yeah. beginning of Blade Runner. Not only does the dome look like a version of that, that's more like just like skeletal. In the sense that, like, it's not a complete, like, it's it's just, like, the edges of it. Um, but also throughout the, like, the establishing shot where they show that, there's, like, jets of fire shooting out the exact same way, like, in the opening scene from Blade Runner. Um, and then you have, like, the final fight scene, which I don't have any fucking notes on because it's hard to follow. But basically what happens is they defeat Turl by somehow getting the collar off of Johnny's girlfriend's neck, putting it on Turl's arm without him noticing and tricking him into blowing up his, like blowing his own arm off again, no blood, no screaming. It just happens. And he's like, well, damn. Uh, and they lock him up. So it's, it's like a reference to the, um, the lightsaber kind of, but it's arming, but it's his whole arm. Like, maybe in the beginning, like the first movie, where he cuts mm-hmm. the Spider-Man's arm off or whatever, or yeah. uh, whatever that guy is. When he cuts, when Obi-Wan cuts Spider-Man's arm <laughs> yeah, off Toby, in the first Star Wars yeah, movie, Toby, yes, Toby. the scene everyone <laughs> yeah. knows. Yes. Um, but basically, there's a big, big fight scene. The the humans have Harrier jets. They blow up the dome by, the guy was supposed to blow it up, but something goes wrong, so he has to crash a plane into it to blow it up. Uh, one of the guys volunteers to take a nuke. They have a nuke now. Uh, take a nuke, get teleported to the Cyclos home planet and detonate it. And then the radiation will cause a chain reaction that blows up Cyclo. Um, blah, 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 blah. They, they win, basically. The thing that's insane about this is that this is only the first like third of the book Battlefield Earth because they somehow thought that they were going to make another possibly two a more trilogy, movies of course yeah um which like this movie wraps up in such a way that i'm like how did you think that like what goes on in the rest of this book so this I and mean, that's this it. is classic that- like this is a classic um star wars beat so they just blew up the the base right or did they blow up the home planet 
They blow up the home planet. They blew up the base and the home planet. All of it. Yes. Like, at this point, the wow. only Cyclos left alive... The way this movie ends is the only Cyclos left alive are Turl, who is missing an arm and is now locked in a cage in Fort Knox, surrounded by the gold. And then Kerr comes in and jokes about him now being the top security officer because he's the only Cyclo left, and he's, like, teamed up with the humans. And that is it. There's no more Cyclos. They've all died or been killed. Huh. Yeah, that seems like it wraps up the whole thing. Right. Like, I, I don't know what else happens other than trying to show the humans rebuilding. It's, But at that point, it's no longer Battlefield Earth, right? Unless there's more oh, fights. I, uh, apparently, in the book, did you do any research on this? I did not. I Man, it was like 2 in the morning when I finished this movie last night, and I was just like... I need to go to bed, not because I'm tired, but because, like, my brain hurts because I just watched okay, this whole um, film. The rest of it is um, summed up on the Wikipedia page for the novel in three paragraphs that seems like straight up the most boring movie ever. Um, so once their planet is destroyed, it means Turl is now the highest ranking member of the mining company, which means effectively that... Um, he owns everything left of the Cyclo Empire. Sure. And using this, the Earth Bank pays off all the debts to the Space Bank. What? So, in what? What debts? What? This is apparently <laughs> apparently this is a big thing in the book. Is that there are debts that Earth owes to intergalactic bankers. Um... <laughs> I could hear I could hear the like <laughs> triple parentheses went around international or intergalactic bankers when you said that. <laughs> like like there's they're listening, man. That seems so much like this like, oh yeah, okay, sure. Thanks, Elrond. God. Yeah. It's all banks. Um so <laughs> Cyclo teaches Johnny how to use um cyclomath. Okay. Which the, the secret of it is a um, cipher. He also figures out teleportation. Um, and Johnny brings back breathe gas from a planet in the Cyclosar system. Yeah, so that's... that's um, Yeah. Uh, which, uh, I guess, helps someone. Uh, Earth begins to make teleportation equipment. Um, Johnny uses the money to make or to buy force fields and uh basically reagan star wars an orbiting defense system um to protect earth from threat future threats uh now that earth is safe and the human population is good and it is apparently being taught it's true history everyone gets to read the declaration of independence um johnny gives this this quote johnny gives ownership of the earth back to its people a few years later, him and Chrissy get married, have a son and daughter. Who's Chrissy? Is that the girl's name that was... Th- that's probably the girl that he was like in love with or whatever that showed up. That I Again, there's very little dialogue where people are talking to each yeah. other in a way that's, that like is like, oh, I know who these characters are and I care about them. Um, I didn't talk about it earlier, but there was a big fight scene where it ends where... Johnny dunks a guy's head in oatmeal 
or what's like <laughs> right. prison 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 slop that looks like oatmeal. That's God. That's a good gag, I guess. Uh, but at the end, Johnny has a son. Johnny and Chrissy, I guess, have a son and daughter. Uh, the human civilization is great. They, the whole family, goes to an isolated part of the world to train their children in the old ways of survival. They live out the rest of their days in peace. But after a year, their friends ask them to come back to the civilization, which Johnny says he will do. However, he's not happy. And years later, quote. Frustrated with unending fame in life away from nature, Johnny uh, bails, just never doesn't talk to anyone, just quietly slips away and becomes a figure of legend. And that's how the book ends. Yeah, that's what they wanted the second. Um, yeah, that wouldn't have worked. Movie to be. Um, I mean, the first one didn't work, but that definitely wouldn't have worked. So here's the thing: there's no conflict there. It's just like a guy rebuilding. All right, sure. So the thing is, is that the book and the plot beats either, I I don't want to give credit to L. Ron Hubbard, but like there's enough stuff in there that would be interesting to me. Like, like the whole prison corporate, like, like mining corporation shit. Like there's stuff that like other films have done better. Like alien does a better job of like exploring like the tyranny of the corporation and like how it just brutally grinds people in the paste. Um, it's like, there's a bunch of stuff that he talks about or gets brought up in this movie that like, if the movie were at all coherent and or better, either well, dialogue script, editing, uh, act, acting, acting, um, even the jokes would have been fine if, like, like it, it could have worked. I think the film... I'm not saying that I could take this and do a recut where I'm like, this is interesting. But there's enough ideas in it that I'm like, if somebody more competent were given this stuff, it might be watchable. But man, this is like... Like, I can see why there is a group of people that are like, this is campy. This is so bad, it's good. Mm-hmm. I can see where those people are because there are moments like... like like I said, the moment where Johnny like gets the rat and eats it raw, and Turl's like, they love uncooked rats. And Kerr mm-hmm. Kerr immediately responds of like, Well, if that's the case, why aren't those other guys eating it? And Turl immediately comes back and goes, like, You idiot, don't you know? The alpha in this situation always eats first. And it's just like like that's funny. There's a funny moment in this movie that is otherwise yeah. is just garbage. Um, and like there's, but like some of the ideas like trying to fake a worker's revolt so that you can trick the CEO of the planet into letting you steal equipment could work for sure, but not in this film. <laughs> um, I just have one other question about this, um, film sure how is the music how is the soundtrack um loud is the only thing that i I don't remember enough of it mm. why you know that's incredibly disappointing to me um god who did one who did the soundtrack well i don't know who did the soundtrack for the movie i mean i'm sure the the if it was forgettable, then yeah, okay. Music by Ilya Kremalia. 
a Czech composer who's worked on Piranha, 3DD, um, Lost Boys, The Thirst, which was a straight-to-video sequel to Lost Boys, uh, Journey to the End of the Night, Ronan, um, mostly forgettable movies. Uh, did you see that he did the music for Atlas Shrugged Part 1? And Atlas Shrugged Part 3, who is John Galt, but apparently... But not Atlas Shrugged 2? No, I... I, See, I feel like they made a mistake here. Like, I don't know why they hired this person to write um, a soundtrack for the movie when L. Ron Hubbard already composed a soundtrack to accompany the book Battlefield Earth, and it's titled Space Jazz. Okay, yeah, that's the thing that I did not know about. That yeah, almost, it's, that's uh, that's good. That when they talk, when Chick-Korea I said earlier, is on it. Yeah, when I said earlier that like L. Ron Hubbard was an expert in the field of music, I did not realize that would come <laughs> up later. Yep, yep. He wrote space jazz with Chick Corea, um, and oh boy. Yeah, there's a track on here called Turl, the Security Director, Johnny, when the Mining Song, Alien Visitors, The Banker is uh, oh, God. track four inside, too. So that yeah. seems like uh, the real takeaway from this is listen to fucking space jazz. Yeah, so here's the thing. Um, when you brought up earlier, you saw all these action figures. There's uh, an action figure of Turl that, like, I don't know how you do it, but it it speaks. Uh, and some of the, the lines that it says are, Exterminate all man animals at will. You wouldn't last one day at the academy. Man is an endangered species. That's another thing that he that brings up a lot. Duh, I, rat- I, I, I have vague memories of this. And rat brain. <laughs> God, I remember. Yeah, because Warner Brothers produced it. I remember seeing this dumbass action figure of big head dreadlock John Travolta and it telling me that I wouldn't last a day at the space Academy. Yeah. Um, there's another interesting thing where like the, uh, the company that produced it, uh, got investigated by the FBI for committing fraud. Uh, I don't know. There's just a lot of weird, um, there's a lot of weird things about this film. Um, and it certainly does not do any, like anything for me as far as like wanting to check out Elrond's, uh, further works. No, really the best way to make sense of it is that of course there should be fraud charges connected to this film. It should make sense that a lot of John Travolta's career is just a way to, um, launder money. Like it, it, it's such a thing where like it, it seems really fascinating to me that like when you think about the actors who and, and the actresses as well, but like the the big actors who are tied to Scientology. I mean John Travolta and like Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. The difference is, is that Tom Cruise has been in movies that are good. Yeah, he's he has a pretty good record. Like like. There are very few Tom Cruise movies that I can jump to on the, off the top of my head that are like, oh, this is a bad Tom Cruise movie. The Mummy. Oh, uh, well, yeah. 
which was a complete misfire, but a recent one, which is understandable. But, like, I mean, the Mission Impossible films have been huge. Um, he was in Edge of Tomorrow, which is great, and Oblivion. Um, like, he's had a pretty solid career. And then there's John Travolta, who, like, it seems like they're doing the same thing. If they're like, let's keep making him money, but then also, like, he's not good at it. Yeah, it's... It's sad. And it's really even sad that it's it's entirely John Travolta's fault. Right. I just I think the last the last good thing that he was in was I don't I don't know if um him playing the main character's mom in Hairspray was good, but I liked him in Be Cool, even that, though it wasn't nearly as good as um Um Get Shorty before it. So Hairspray was another film that I considered doing. Uh-huh. Uh, Are you a uh, fan? Uh, so I don't remember much about the film other than uh, here's here's my here's my fond memories of this film is um, the year that No Line on the Horizon came out uh, the U two album I think it's like two thousand and eight or two thousand nine I think it's two thousand nine. Uh, I went with John. Really curious how this road is going to lead back to <laughs> Hairspray. It's coming. It's coming. Uh, I went with John to Hilton Head. Uh, and while we were in Hilton Head, um, he and our friend Brad and John's dad and his uncle went golfing. Because we were staying like right by the, the golf um course. I forgot the word that you call the golf thing. Um, I'm I knew you were going to get there. <laughs> the golf park. Um, they stayed by the golf course, and so they went golfing one day. I did not bring clubs, and I also don't really like golfing all that much. Um, so I stayed in and watched Hairspray with John's mother and, like, his aunt and, and uh-huh. his cousin. <laughs> so we watched Hairspray. Yeah. Um, the two was, genders watching Hairspray and, and golf. golf. Yeah. Um, and then also, <laughs> the film that we watched after Hairspray was Watchmen, the unrated edition. Whoa. That's a fucking hell of a double feature. <laughs> so that is, for whatever, like Hairspray is, is like parts of it are burned into my brain, but none of it, like none of the things actually about the film other than John Travolta in drag. Um, hey, um, and, and Tracy for what it's Turner. worth, when uh, I had my um, back surgery, when I was in whatever, like 10th grade, uh, and right after the surgery, when they had me super drugged up on a lot of painkillers in the hospital, and uh, I had just started eating again, and all I was eating were, what do they call them when it's the, just like, chocolate pudding and Oreos and like, gummy worms? Uh, like, not solid foods? Yeah, they, there's a name for that dish. It's not a mud pie or mud slide, but it's oh, something like I that. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah uh, like dirt pudding or something like that. Yeah, that's the only thing I need. It's got a... And then I remember needing some entertainment, so um, I walked with my mom to the uh, movie shelf, and we grabbed Old old Dogs. No, Wild Hogs. Wild (laughs) Hogs. Those are different movies. Wild Hogs. (laughs) Oh, buddy. (laughs) Uh, And so I had some... 
Yeah, I maybe that's why. Maybe I knew, but I have some vague, distorted memory of um, being on just like a lot of painkillers and John Travolta having some hijinks on a motorcycle. I, I remember that film because A, I saw that film. Um, and, and the thing that stuck out to me is John Travolta in that film looks so much like the main character from Gears of War. <laughs> um, because he also like wore a bandana, like like was built roughly the same in his like motorcycle getup. Um, but yeah, I remember that it was set in Cincinnati. That Tim Allen plays like a dentist who decides to go well, on and just the when you look at um, John Travolta. You just just pull up a picture of him and stare at it, and then listen to "Mad World" by Gary Jules, and it <laughs> yeah, absolutely it, fits. Yeah. Um. Yeah. All he right, looks, he looks I so think much. I, he looks. I don't. You, you want to be done? I, I don't be think I have too much more to say. On I don't think I have anything nice to say left about. I feel like we're really just doing a hit piece on John Travolta, and I'm starting to feel bad about it now. I here's the thing. Let, then let me let me offer you this uh, as we enter our closing arguments. Um, yes, Battlefield Earth is not a good movie. Battlefield Earth is not a fun movie to watch. The only enjoyable moments, though, of that film were getting to watch John Travolta and Forrest Whitaker ham it up and like have this back and forth. Uh, and, and, and I would put that like listening to this podcast, you know, where sometimes <laughs> sometimes the podcast is maybe not fun to listen to, uh, but some, sometimes we hit our stride and we get like some good moments out of it. And that's what I feel like uh, Battlefield Earth is like. I, I'm saying we've re- we've recorded the Battlefield Earth of podcasts. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Well, let's shut it down. That's it. Uh-uh. <laughs> God, that's it. That's the last episode. Um, <laughs> it's just a stupid idea. No one's going to produce a part two. Jesus. Um, part uh, three. Here, here's where I would talk about what we're going to do next week, but I don't know if I have anything but planned for not that yet. Be I'm still working week. on that. You got, any, you got any different projects that will continue that you want to plug? Um... <sighs> Not, mm, uh, upstairs is playing this is way far off in the future upstairs is playing a uh, show on October 19th that it will be a fundraiser for Seattle council person uh, Shama Sawant um, that I am doing also as part of uh, Socialist Alternative um, I believe October 5th uh, I don't know where that's going to be yet. Um, October 5th, the Chicago branch of Socialist Alternative is throwing a fundraiser for Shama Sawant. That will be like a dance party, and I'm sure there'll be some other like talking and, and tabling and whatnot. And that's going to be at the one of the union halls up there i do not remember which one off the top of my head this is something that i should have looked up before i opened my fucking mouth but um that would be a uh fun time uh i might be in chicago that weekend to see some friends and also to possibly 
uh, attend that event if you are uh, interested. Uh, Speaking of attending events in Chicago on that weekend, um, Sunday... uh, The 6th. The 6th? Is that right? Yeah. At 7 p.m. at Annoyance Theater, um, my improv troupe is performing the only show that it's ever going to perform. So come to that. You have to buy tickets, which is a fucking scam. But do it. Anyone that hears that by that time, please come. I'll uh, probably do a silly accent. Uh, the Shama uh, rally and fundraiser is going to be at the UE Hall on Ashland, South Ashland in Chicago. Do them both, and we'll see it there. And um, I don't know. Thank you for joining us on this journey that has been themed. Um, if you, assuming that there's any more episodes of this which it it, a from content wise it seems like maybe that's not going to happen and b from a technical standpoint (laughs) we've got to figure some stuff out um uh please hit us up send us messages uh if you have a favorite artist uh author or actress or know of a topic in sf that you want us to cover uh we are open to suggestions uh and if you give oh, yeah, us you can go to themethepodcast.com and email us suggestions yeah uh and honestly if you throw any amount of money at us at all we'll, we'll do probably whatever the heck you say we'll even do an episode where we listen to our podcast and just shit on it I mean, I feel like I do that while we record the podcast, but yeah, we could do like... I know, com- we've talked about it, but yeah, we could... We could, we could do like a commentary of a commentary. Uh, well, until then, until the 10-year anniversary, um, this has been, I think, uh, a saga of the year 3000. Uh, I wish there were a better catchphrase that I could remember from the film Battlefield Earth, but... Um, don't ever last a day at the academy. Bye. Bye. <laughs>